Hey everyone, it is Thursday, July 14th. I'm Mo Shwinunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm running solo today. Jill is officially on maternity leave, but we'll be bringing on some guest co-hosts in the coming weeks. Email us any ideas you have for folks you'd like to see on the podcast over at our email address, podcast at mo.news. It is, of course, Bastille Day today in France, so wishing everyone there a happy Independence Day. Of course, July 14th, 1789 marks the day a mob stormed the famous Bastille prison, marking the beginning of the French Revolution. I might catch a little Les Mis this weekend to mark the occasion. In the meantime, let's get to the headlines. Inflation numbers skyrocket for another month. Is there any relief in sight? We're getting new details on the new Omicron subvariant that has health officials worried. Biden has started his big trip to the Middle East. We'll have more on that. And we are a bit closer this weekend to finding out if what Subway claims is tuna fish is, well, really tuna fish. But let's start with inflation. U.S. inflation surged to a new 40-year high in June because of rising prices for gas, food, and rent. It has squeezed household budgets and is putting pressure on the Federal Reserve Bank to raise interest rates aggressively again. What's called the government's consumer price index soared 9.1% in June 2022 over June 2021. It's the biggest yearly increase since 1981. Nearly half of the increase, by the way, is due to higher energy costs, including gas prices. Another good percent is due to grocery prices, home prices, and rent. And even if you toss out food and energy prices, the so-called core inflation still soared 5.9%. Again, that is June 2022 over June 2021. Consumers are enduring the pain sort of everywhere. Gasoline up 61% in the past year. Men's suits, jackets, and coats up 25%. Airline tickets, 34%. Eggs, 33%. Breakfast sausages, 14%. But we do have some potential good news on the horizon. We try to bring that to you once in a while. Gas prices have been reversing course for a few weeks. They have now declined 28 days in a row. That is the longest decline since those COVID shutdowns of 2020. Energy analysts say American consumers are now spending $140 million less on gas daily than we were a month ago. However, I'm hearing from many of you, whether it be in Illinois, California, Utah, that you still quite aren't seeing those cuts at the stations closest to you yet. Prices are set to decline further in the coming weeks. That is, of course, unless a hurricane makes its way through the Gulf of Mexico. So, of course, we need to be on the lookout for that. Also starting to come down, used car prices and the housing market is starting to cool with a rise in interest rates. The bottom line, Americans are continuing to feel price increases, but there is hope that we might have seen the worst of it. We will get July inflation numbers around this time next month and see what an impact the decline in gas prices and some of these other factors might have had on overall inflation. But we will see some more data very soon. Friday, we will get retail sales and consumer sentiment numbers, which will also give us a better gauge of what is happening in the economy. Now to the Omicron subvariant that has health officials around the world a bit concerned. New research shows that the latest highly transmissible COVID subvariant, this is Omicron's BA.4 and BA.5, may be shortening the window of immunity post-infection. The warning comes from Australian health officials who say that those strains are so strong at evading antibodies, they're seeing COVID reinfections happen faster and more frequently compared to other variants. How much less? Well, the Committee of Australian Doctors are changing the recommendations to reduce the definition of immunity from 90 days down to 28 days, meaning they're seeing some reinfection within a month. That comes at the same time we're learning new research out of the U.S. suggesting that, again, BA4 and BA5, these are the Omicron subvariants, that they're four times more resistant to antibodies from vaccines than the previous Omicron. 
Subvariant BA5 is now the most dominant strain in the US, accounting for more than 50% of cases. BA4 accounts for another good percentage. So between the two subvariants, there's belief that nearly 80% of new cases nationwide are one of these two subvariants. Of course, a complicating factor in those figures is that it might even be higher due to a lack of comprehensive testing. We spoke earlier this week about Moderna, which has had some positive news in tests for boosters that target those new Omicron subvariants. So they're changing the whole vaccine mix. They're trying to basically chase these subvariants. They're testing boosters right now on those subvariants. The good news, they think they're more effective. The bad news, they're likely not going to be ready until this fall, October at the earliest. A reminder, though, on these subvariants, so far there is no evidence that this variant causes more serious illness, and infectious disease experts say that even though new infections are on the rise, the impact of BA5 is unlikely to be on the scale of the surge we saw last winter, in part because the country is better equipped to manage it. Remember, there's better available treatments in the hospitals, and between widespread previous infection and vaccinations, the sense is that we'll be seeing less severe illness. I want to head now to the Middle East, where President Biden is on a five-day swing through the region. That includes Israel, the Palestinian territories, and Saudi Arabia. The president was warmly greeted by Israeli officials upon arrival at Ben-Gurion Airport Wednesday, and in a speech, described the U.S.'s connection with the country as, quote, bone deep. He added that you, quote, don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist. Among his priorities on the trip, Biden is focused on trying to slow down Iran's nuclear program and reassure the Israelis that the U.S. has their back and will prevent Iran from getting atomic weapons. Among his stops, Biden visited the Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial Wednesday and is set for another day of meetings with Israeli officials. That includes the interim prime minister, Yair Lapid, and the former prime minister, of which he has a very difficult relationship, Benjamin Netanyahu. Biden will also be meeting with Palestinian leaders on Friday. As of right now, there is no expectation of any major announcement when it comes to peace talks. From there, Biden on Friday will fly to Saudi Arabia, where he'll be attending a summit of Gulf allies. The big issue there is how to bring gasoline prices down. They've damaged his approval ratings. He's expected to press the Saudis and others for more oil production. It is unclear whether they are capable of more oil production. And of course, he'll be meeting with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The two have a strained relationship, as Biden has been very critical of Salman's connection to the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi and Saudi human rights. It remains to be seen what may come out of these meetings. Next up, the battle between Twitter and Elon Musk is officially going to the courts. Twitter filed a lawsuit against Musk on Tuesday in the Delaware Court of Chancery, seeking to hold Musk to his agreement to buy the social media company for $44 billion. First, let's give you a quick recap. Remember, in the spring, Twitter was not for sale. Elon Musk said, I want to buy you. Eventually, he made them an offer they could not refuse, and they said, okay, we'll go with it. The world's richest man then spent the last few months trying to get out of the deal, and last week officially filed paperwork to pull out of it. Twitter's lawsuit reads in part, quote, Musk refuses to honor his obligations to Twitter and its stockholders because the deal he signed no longer serves his personal interests. Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away. At the heart of this case is disclosure. Musk said he did not believe the company's public statements that only 5% of his active users are bots or fake accounts. He's saying there's many more bots, and he believes that should get him out of the deal. For its part, Twitter says it has given him more info than he needs. They have confidence in their figures on spam accounts. It uses experts to determine that and ensure its accuracy. And the bottom line is they believe they have been more than open with Musk and the data that he's requested. A trial could start as soon as September. And now to our speed read, where I'll try to get to a couple more headlines. This is from NPR. 
A U.S. judge rules that Subway can be sued over its, quote, 100% tuna claim. A federal judge in California says a woman's lawsuit against Subway alleging its tuna sandwiches don't contain the real thing can move forward. The plaintiff, Nilima Amin of Alameda County, California, says Subway misled her and other consumers by saying its sandwiches and other products contain tuna and, quote, 100% tuna. The lawsuit cites a marine biologist who analyzed 20 samples of tuna offerings from 20 different Subway restaurants and found, quote, no detectable tuna DNA sequences whatsoever in 19 of the samples. The samples did contain other types of animal DNA, such as chicken and pork. Subway asked the judge to dismiss the case, saying in part that its tuna sandwich routinely includes other ingredients, such as mayonnaise, which contains eggs. The judge said the lawsuit poses reasonable questions and should move forward. The class action lawsuit, by the way, is seeking financial damages from Subway. A reminder that this is not the first time we've heard this. Last year, the New York Times reported that testing it commissioned of fish samples from three Subway locations found no amplifiable tuna DNA of the five tuna species for which it tested. Our next headline is from Insider.com. Delta chartered an Airbus A330 jet just to get a thousand bags stranded in Europe back to customers in the U.S. As lost luggage is becoming a common headache among travelers this summer, Delta is trying to make an effort to return as much misplaced luggage as possible. On Monday, the airline chartered an Airbus A330 from London to Detroit just to deliver a thousand delayed bags to passengers. A company spokesperson tells Insider, Delta teams worked a creative solution to move delayed check bags from London Heathrow on July 11th after a regularly scheduled flight had to be canceled given airport passenger volume restrictions at Heathrow. Heathrow, one of the busiest airports in the world, announced this week to airlines that they were limiting airport daily flow to 100,000 passengers a day, which meant that many airlines had to cancel flights. A number of you have been sending me your stories on Instagram via direct message, uh, including one of you who traveled throughout Europe for two weeks and is still waiting on your luggage to get out of Heathrow. And this final headline is from CBS Sports, which focuses on the British Open, which begins today. The final major of the 2022 golf season has arrived with the British Open Championship set to begin its historic 150th tournament at St. Andrews in Scotland. St. Andrews, the famous course, has hosted more Open Championships than any other venue and bills itself as the birthplace of golf. Colin Morikawa enters as the defending champion, but all eyes will be on Rory McIlroy, who enters as the favorite. And then there is Tiger Woods. Now 46 years old, he has undergone several surgeries over the last decade, most recently for compound fractures in his right leg sustained during that car crash. While he did make his return to golf at the 2022 Masters, Woods has made it clear he will never be able to play a full schedule again, holding out to play a few events a year, like the British Open. With the British Open Championship not returning to St. Andrews until at least 2026 again, there is a very real chance that this will be Woods' last time playing there. He made his Open debut back in 1995. This year's event could also be the last for some historically great Open golfers. Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, and Ian Poulter lose their automatic qualifications next year and may not be able to qualify due to their affiliation with Live Golf. Live Golf is that new multi-billion dollar Saudi-backed competitor to the PGA Tour that has been causing conflict in golf all this year. That's it for us today. Thanks for listening. Remember to email us, podcast at mo.news with any feedback. Subscribe to the Mo newsletter at monews.bulletin.com. And remember, of course, to follow us on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And don't forget to follow us or subscribe to us in the App Store on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. I'm so grateful for everyone's support and hope you have a great weekend.